Hey everybody, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I am very excited on this episode to talk to you all about a uh, passion of mine, and that is developmental and relational trauma and its treatment. So with that, we'll jump in. Very frequently when people talk about trauma, what we hear to help us understand a foundation of trauma in regards to how experiences during childhood impact later adult outcomes is the ACE study. So the ACE study or the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study is a study that was conducted back in the mid-90s, a collaboration between Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. And it was the largest of its kind with over 17,000 participants. And this study was looking at 10 particular areas of childhood experiences. They were looking for physical neglect and physical abuse, emotional neglect and emotional abuse, sexual abuse. And it was also looking at household stressors, like having a parent that was had mental health issues, if there were substance use disorders or addiction in the home, whether there was parental separation via death or divorce or separation, and if there was anyone in the home who was incarcerated. And what this study found is that the more adverse childhood experiences a person has in their childhood, the greater risk they are at developing other physical and medical health uh, illnesses and negative outcomes, as well as behavioral health outcomes in the future when they become adults. And so people use the ACEs study to help people understand and validate the experiences of children as they're growing up and how when we look at adults and the way they may interact with the world and engage with others, we can't just make an assumption about them based on what we see from them in that moment, but we have to realize that if they've had adverse experiences, that that is factoring into how they show up in the world. Excuse me. I love that. It is very important. What I think is very underrepresented, however, is the experiences that fall outside of those 10 things. Now, to be fair, a lot of research, that original ACE study has been expanded um, and continual research has been looked into those things. It now, the CDC has released an expansion of the actual pyramid, if you've seen it, that includes things like um, generational oppression and cultural things and community things. And so that is uh, a really big deal. If you haven't looked into some of the more recent outcomes and research that's been done around the ACE studies, I highly recommend you to do that. But the reason I'm not spending that much time on that is because I want to move into what's known as developmental trauma and more specifically, developmental and relational trauma therapy um, as I am a certified DART clinician. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the actual model itself, but then also give you ways to find people uh, as we are growing in number, the number of clinicians who are working from this model. <clears throat> so what I was saying about ACEs is I love that there is an awareness that what happens in childhood 
has a very direct impact on how a person shows up in the world as they mature and as they become adults. But sometimes there are things that are overlooked because people do not realize how much their childhood upbringings, their families of origins, and the experiences that they've had truly do impact how they engage with the world on a very regular basis. And so when I'm doing therapy, and at this point when I'm doing a training, I am bringing so much of this developmental and relational trauma into play because I think it's very underrepresented when people are talking about trauma. So I want to start by helping you understand the framework that we as DART uh, clinicians work from. Now, DART, uh, Developmental and Relational Trauma Therapy, is a particular model. It was kind of born from the foundation of Pia Melody, who is um, an author who wrote books like Facing Codependency, The Intimacy Factor, and facing love addiction. And she is kind of the originator of post-induction therapy, which the developmental and relational trauma has been expanded from that. So definitely want to give proper dues to Pia Melody. Um, My training has come through Healing Our Core Issues Institute, which is founded here or based here in Cincinnati, Ohio, with founders Dr. Rick Butts and Jan Bergstrom, who have taken the post-induction therapy and added some pillars like mindfulness, gestalt therapy, um, some tenets of CBT, and somatic experiencing, and thus we have the DART model. And so in essence, what this model helps a person to understand is first the nature of a child. Every single child that is born is born precious and valuable simply because they are born. Every child that is born is vulnerable and in need of protection. Every child that is born is born imperfect and human. Every child that is born is dependent when they are first born completely dependent upon other people to get their needs met. And as they mature for people to continue to meet their needs while simultaneously helping them learn to meet them themselves, And every child that is born is spontaneous and open. They learn through exploration and play. And so that is the nature of a child. And when a child is born into a family system that treats that child as precious and vulnerable and helps them to see that their value exists simply because they draw breath, that they don't have to earn it and that it doesn't go up or down, then that child will likely grow up to have a healthy self-esteem. And by healthy self-esteem, that means to be able to hold themselves in warm regard despite their flaws or their imperfections. They don't think they're better than anyone. They don't think they're less than anyone. They realize that they're same as and that they don't have to earn their value. There's nothing they can do to increase it. There's nothing they can do to decrease it. They simply have it because they're alive. However, a child that is born in a system that does not learn that they are valuable and precious will develop issues with their self-esteem. Likewise, a child that is born into a family system that provides adequate protection 
uh, taking care of the need to make sure the child is not unnecessarily harmed in any physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, or psychological way, that child will likely grow up to have a pretty functional boundary system. On the other hand, a child that is born into a family system that does not offer it protection, does not keep it from harm, or on the contrary, kind of what I call bubble wraps their life so that they don't have any experiences, they will likely grow up having issues maintaining and establishing boundaries. A child that is born into a family system that acknowledges that child's humanity and that their imperfections are just that part of being human, that child will grow up to have some have a good grasp of their own reality. However, children who are born into family systems that do not honor and validate the human experience and the imperfections that we all have, those are children who grow up into adulthood and have a difficult time knowing themselves and understanding their own, their own reality. A child who grows up in a family system that helps that child to understand what their needs and their wants are, to meet those needs and to help the child learn to meet those needs and meet the needs before the wants so that they act in moderation and proportionality, those children often grow up to be adults who have pretty solid dependency. Um, What that means is they strive towards interdependence. They are not too needy or dependent, but they're also not anti-dependent and they know what their needs and their wants are. And finally, a child that grows up in a family system that allows for openness and spontaneity and exploration while providing containment so that they are not hurt, but still allowing them to explore will likely grow up to be moderate adults, not going from extreme of being too rigid and too contained or being completely spontaneous without things to be able to kind of rail them in. And so a person who is not afforded the opportunity to be spontaneous or is so spontaneous without any containment, they struggle with moderations and and, and they have issues of containment. And so that essentially is the core from which we are working from in the developmental and relational trauma therapy model. We are working with adults to help them understand how the experiences that they had when they were children around these five core issues are directly impacting how they show up in the world. It impacts their ability to parent their own children, to have relationship with significant others, family members and friends, how they show up at work, how they just engage with the world. We can trace them all of those things back to these five core issues when they were growing up. And so I wanted to just take a little time to go through each of the five core issues, uh, not in depth necessarily, but just to give people an understanding of how important it is for us to not discredit the experiences we had as a child and how sometimes if we go back, we can truly understand how we got here. I think phrases that I repeat in therapy over and over and over again are, one, that makes sense to me. People come in and they're struggling in their relationships and their work and their self-esteem and all these areas as presenting issues when they come into therapy. And so many people come in 
with this belief that there is something wrong with me. Well, as we begin to explore their childhood, their families of origins and their upbringing, I am essentially helping them see the thread that has been woven throughout their lives that makes complete sense of how they got to where they are. Once we understand a person's behavior in context, it no longer feels that they're crazy, but it it says, well, I see how you got here and it makes sense. So these explanations are just that. They are context for a person's behavior, not an excuse, but sometimes we need the context in order for us to make change. And so I love working from this model because it's applicable for an individual. It's beneficial for a couple. And I use this model when I'm working with entire families. Let's look at what it was like growing up being you. It's one of the first questions I ask in any therapeutic relationship as it's beginning, whether it's an individual couple or family. And I am listening for the five core issues. People often start with where they were born. That matters. Culture matters. Geography matters. They often tell me the constellation of their home, how many adults were in the home, how many siblings, birth order, all of it matters. And what is the context within the family about what it meant to be a child, what it meant to be an adult, what it meant to be a parent, what it meant to be a child. And when I am looking at these four, these five core issues, what I'm helping people understand is the template in which they were given. And because that template they were given is the template that they are functioning off of, whether they realize it or not. So I want to take a pause and talk about what I mean by template. So when I have to create something digitally, a flyer, a website, uh, one, I do everything I can not to do it. So I will definitely pay people to do those things who, who do them well. I do not like it. I'm not creative in that way. But if I am forced to create something on my own, one of the first things I look for is a template. I look for what what looks good, what I would like it to look like this, what's the template. And what I like about templates is it tells me where everything goes and how it functions. The heading goes here, a picture goes here, this is text, and it's all laid out for me. So then it becomes like a drag and drop, or I can click inside the box and put different words. I may even be bold and change the font or the color, but it's pretty much set. This is where things go. Well, all of us who uh, made it through childhood, we made it through childhood and we were given a template. We didn't ask for the template. We didn't question the template. We were simply given the template. This is how the world works. Every child thinks that their life is normal until they have something to compare it to. So growing up, there are very few people who think that's not okay. That's not right. Or who even, who think anything is, this is how people live their lives. That's what we believe as children. And it makes sense if we don't have something to compare it to. So this template gets reinforced throughout our lifespan. And most of us, most people will live out that template until we die, unless we are extremely intentional about exploring the template. It's never my intention to suggest to someone that they need to scrap their template, just get rid of it. I think there are very valuable things that we have learned throughout our lives. 
What I do encourage people to do is explore the template. The questions we're asking are, is this still useful and beneficial for me now? The survival skills that we learned growing up helped us survive our families of origin and our childhood. When we become adults, we start to engage in other relationships. And sometimes why relationships struggle is because both people are coming in with a predetermined template with survival skills already reinforced and intact, and they are already prepared to play out the role they played in their families of origin. They come together as two people, excuse me, and all of a sudden there's conflict. Why is there conflict? The conflict is because there's conflict in the templates. There's conflict because the roles that they each played in their family of origin don't fit very neatly into the relationship they're establishing. And so the internalization is either what's wrong with me or the externalization is what's wrong with my partner. Why aren't they doing this the way they're supposed to be doing it? And so when we have this framework, we can go back and we can say, okay, what do I know about being a partner? What are the expectations? What are the expectations of me? What are the expectations of my partner? You start having conversations like that. You begin to uncover that some templates are just so different without being intentional. They're not going to work. It doesn't mean one party is right or one party is wrong. It simply means you have to be very focused and intentional about how you're going to make that relationship work. So many of the conflicts we have in our life are relational. How we are in conflict with another person, even if we're not in a you know, direct relationship with that person, it could be how I'm, the conflict I'm having with the ideolo- ideologies of my workplace. But a lot of it is the conflict we have within ourselves because we have expectations of what we want our life to be, but then there's the reality of what it is. And we sometimes get stuck in this pattern and a lot of the expectations and disappointments we have about how our life should be is based on this template that we've had since we were very young children. And so that's the idea of this template. And the five core issues that I explained or or told you about are embedded inside of that template. And so when we look at self-esteem, a person who would say, you know, I, I, I struggle with self-esteem, then what we would be looking at is growing up, did you ever get the direct explicit message that you have value simply because you exist? I take so much joy in knowing that there are people who are adults now who did get that message. And sometimes, most times, it has little to do with what was said to them, but how they were treated. But I know the reality is that the majority of people who are adults now did not receive the explicit message that they were valuable simply because they existed, but instead their value was conditional. And so what I mean by that is growing up, people learn how to earn their value, In some families, it's getting good grades, which usually translates into a larger performance. When you perform well, your value increases. Well, how does a child know that? Because that's when they get praised and that's when they get um, hugs and that's when they get 
all of these various different things. And so they learned that if I am going to feel valuable, I need to perform. Sometimes people learn uh, to earn their value by being helpful and contributing to the household. And so they said, hey, when I do things, when I clean up really well, when I take the burden and responsibility off of my parents, when I care for my younger siblings, that's when I got, that's when my value increased. And so we learn as children how to earn our value within our family systems. And we will carry that out throughout life. Sometimes the value is on who we are associated with or how we look or our body type. Whatever we learned as children on how our how we felt our value was increased, that's what we will go on to do to continue to earn our value. The reality is there's nothing you can do to increase your value. When I first learned that, the first thing I literally thought was, why do I have over $100,000 in student loans? <laughs> because I definitely thought I was increasing my value by attaining higher levels of education. It doesn't mean that I no longer want to pursue higher ed or do the work. I just now understand that that doesn't make me more valuable. I There's nothing I can do. There's no mistake I can make that decreases my value. So instead of increasing and decreasing, what happens is we actually get more or less connected to the value that we actually have. My role as a person who's walking along someone in this journey is to help them become more connected to the value they already have. When people come and they are struggling with boundaries, that could mean they have a difficulty saying no, um, they have a difficulty you know, protecting their bodies and their property. It often means that they have trouble with their internal boundaries. And most people don't even realize we have internal boundaries. Those internal boundaries means I can protect myself from what I consume, meaning what people say to me and how they act towards me, how they behave towards me. I can put up a boundary that protects me from that. But we also have boundaries that not only protect us, but contain us. Because boundaries are not just meant for our protection alone, but they're also meant to contain us so we don't hurt other people. And so I actually can contain and put a boundary around how I act and how I speak to other people. So helping people understand that they have internal boundaries, that they can protect themselves from people's actions and words, but also contain their actions and words so they're not offensive is one of the primary steps in helping people to work through their boundary issues. When people come with um, either side of this spectrum of I can't, I won't, I, I can't do it, I, I'm incapable, or on the other end, I have to be good and perfect. There are people, I was one of them, who won't move forward until they know they can do it perfectly. That usually leads to one, high stress, high anxiety, perfectionistic tendencies, and a lot of inertia, like immobility. Because if I know I can't do it perfect, I'm not going to move. And so with the, when a person comes with any of those issues, I know that we're dealing with reality issues and that I have to help that person understand their humanity. But if we grew up in a family system that did, that did not honor humanity and did not encourage vulnerability in that way, if it was not safe to make a mistake, 
without being reprimanded or hurt because of our mistakes, then it totally makes sense why we have these reality issues. Reality issues also happen when a person grows up in a family system and what they are seeing and perceiving and experiencing in their bodies are being contradicted by more influential people in their lives. One example may be a person who grows up in a family system with an alcoholic parent. This alcoholic parent drinks in excess, passes out on the floor. That child says, oh my God, what's wrong with my parent? They're hurting. And another parent comes and say, oh honey, they're fine. They're fine. They're just tired. And then you go on. That's messing with somebody's reality. But it doesn't seem okay. It happens when a person is feeling neglected or uh, less connected and someone berates them for feeling that way and tells them that it's their fault. All of that messes with a person's reality. And so when people come with these issues, I know I have to help them know themselves and get connected to their experience, which with this requires them to get reconnected with their bodies. Being embodied is a huge part of the work that I do. When we talk about dependency issues, there is this spectrum. Some people are too dependent, oftentimes because throughout their life, someone swooped in and did everything for them. One that prevents them from building the muscle and confidence that they can start a task and complete a task. And so they're so used to people coming in and doing it for them. They don't have the confidence that they can do it. They start to rely on other people to do things for them. That's too dependent. Now we have a tendency to judge the person who's too dependent and make statement, you know, they, oh no, how old are you? They ought to know better. But if no one gave them the opportunity to practice, how should they know better? On the other end of that spectrum are anti-dependent folks. Anti-dependent folks are not the folks who said, I'll do it myself. They're the folks that say, I'll go with it unmet. I will go with my need unmet before I ask somebody to help me. How does a person become anti-dependent? They get tired of being disappointed and let down and hurt. So sometimes it is worse to feel that pain of rejection and hurt than to have the need unmet. And so people who are anti-dependent often look like superheroes. My God, they do it themselves. You know, they don't need nobody. So people stop asking one because they're so what looks like self-sufficient, but really is anti-dependent. And a whole nother category here is people who are needless and wantless. They don't even have a concept of what their needs are. They will know the needs of others and work feverishly to meet them, but sometimes don't even realize when they have their own need. And then finally, people who have a difficult time with moderation and being spontaneous, chances are somewhere in their childhood, they learned that their survival or to help their family continue to function the way it is, they needed to be super, super contained. These are the little children who are are tiny little adults. And so many people think it's so cute. She's so mature. If you have grown up being told you have an old soul, or um, you're wise beyond your years, I'm one of them, you learn to interpret that as 
You know, these are compliments. Really, that tells me right off the rip that there is probably some moderation issues and that in that family of origin, you either had to become a little adult and not allowed to be a child, or if you have an adult who is super immature, not responsible, not contained, just all over the place, I can probably trace that back to the childhood they had and where they were in regards to being moderated and contained in that family of origin and that family system. And so I wanted to kind of talk about the five core, introduce to some and remind others about developmental and relational trauma, because as I continue to endeavor to decrease and eliminate the stigma around therapy, especially in communities of color, in marginalized communities, people think that there has to be a big quote unquote issue in order to go to therapy. I can almost guarantee that there is not a person who heard me go through the five core and at least one thing I said didn't make them go, hmm, hmm, that could be me. Because of that, I want people to know that when you are engaging in the therapeutic process, particularly with someone who can help you explore developmental and relational trauma, it is all about exploring our templates so that we can have fulfilled lives now by letting go of the things we no longer need, keeping the things that are applicable for sure, that are helpful and meaningful, but really giving back the things that are not ours, letting go of the things we no longer need to carry. And so that is uh, that was kind of my main goal for today. What kind of experiences have you had in your life that are impacting how you're showing up in the world today and you're tired of it? So if any of this struck a chord for you and you are thinking, I want to know more about that, I highly encourage you to reach out to me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. On my website, if you go to... you know, the contact me, reach out. It doesn't mean you have to do therapy with me, but it means that you may have questions that I can help you explore and send you in the right direction. If you're not in the Cincinnati area or if you just have general questions about other clinicians doing this work, you can go to healingtraumanetwork.net and that is a database of those of us who are doing developmental and relational trauma therapy. So to all of my guests who tuned in today and who listened, I am very grateful to you. Um, I hope that you have gotten something valuable. Again, if you have topics you'd like me to talk about or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. We're on all the social media outlets. Don't forget that we have our uh, YouTube channel. Every Thursday, we drop a Therapy Thursday video with helpful information. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast rate, review, and give us those five stars. Um, Tell your friends, share. I think this is truly valuable information that everyone can benefit from. So I thank you for your time. And until we connect again, be well.